Thank you for downloading this sermon brought to you by the preaching ministry of Liberty Baptist Church of Las Vegas, Nevada, Dr. David Tice. For more sermons in both audio and video format, we encourage you to visit experienceliberty.com. Also, for a word of encouragement, insight, and biblical inspiration, follow Pastor David Tice's blog at davidtice.com. So without further ado, let's open our hearts to the Word of God. That was great singing. As you see somebody, give them a thumbs up. Give somebody a thumbs up beside you as you're going around. Thumbs up maybe to our choir. Thumbs up to a person beside you or even behind you because you're in church today. You did it. Good job. Satan fought against it. The world fought against it. Even your flesh was like, I don't know why I want to go to church today. But you did it. You got to church today. And so that's good. So make sure if you haven't given somebody a thumbs up, make sure you've given somebody a thumbs up today because that is really good. If you have your Bibles, open them up. We're going to be in the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua, chapter number six today. And we close out a series that we've been going through over the last five weeks entitled Phase Two. God using a man named Joshua in replacement of one of the mightiest leaders who had ever walked upon the face of the earth, Moses, of course, being that person. And God would bring Joshua and the children of Israel to the promised land. For 40 years, they were wandering without hope, without um, opportunity, just 40 years of a mindless wandering in the desert. But God brought them into the promised land. They would cross over that Jordan River. When they crossed over that Jordan River, they would see the manna cease. And then there was a huge fortress known as Jericho before them. And the land that they were supposed to inhabit would need conquering. And so that fortress of Jericho, Jericho's walls were 30 feet tall, 30 feet thick. And their battle plan, the strategy to go in and take over that land started in Jericho. But the battle plan was awkward. Do you remember what it was? Do you remember last week, God told them, this is how we're going to take over the city. You're going to walk around the city one time on the first day. And so they did. And then he said on the second day, you're going to walk around that city. Then on the third day, you're going to walk around that city again. And on the fourth day and on the fifth day and on the sixth day, you're going to walk around that city. Doesn't seem like a very violent, structured plan, but God knew what he was doing. On the seventh day, he told them to walk around seven times. And on the completion of that seventh round trip of Jericho, the ram's horns were supposed to blow. And when the ram's horns blew, the people were to shout, and when they shouted, the walls came tumbling down, and they did just that. In Joshua chapter 6 and verse number 18, which is going to be the text for our day, we see that there is an inspection pending. How many of you ever built something and needed to get an inspector to come by and sign off on it? That's a fun thing to do, isn't it? I was recently taking a tour of the Hoover Dam, or I was down there just learning about the Hoover Dam, and I found out that it took all of the engineers three years from start to finish to complete the Hoover Dam. About two years ago, we started a project to put a small LED sign out there. It took us 18 months to put a structure that was 8 feet tall and 10 feet wide with, with electricity going to it. It took them three years to build Hoover Dam. It took us almost more than a year and a half to get a small sign. One of the problems is that we had to go through inspectors. And on multiple occasions, at least on four different occasions, an inspector came through with their checklist 
And on their checklist, they said, okay, looks good, looks good. Oh, you missed. That's a fail. Once you get this corrected, we'll be back sometime. <laughs> Between the, March, the months of March and October, we will be there. Make sure you have someone present just in case we show up. So oh, oh, four different times we failed inspections, and we learned from that process, and you're trying to do things better. And I don't want to blame all of the things on, on the inspectors. I just understand this, that sometimes we feel there's a lot of red tape in trying to do what we're going to do and trying to accomplish what we're supposed to accomplish. I think sometimes we misunderstand God. And we view God almost like a bully who's looking over our heads and wanting to check the plans to make sure we've done everything right and maybe knock us over the head if we weren't doing everything completely exactly the way they were supposed to be done. And yet God has a plan that is <laughs> for the blueprints. <laughs> that was a subtle transition. Good job, guys. So God has blueprints and, and we're supposed to follow those blueprints. And in the story of Joshua chapter 6, when the children of Israel were to go into the promised land and go into Jericho, God gave them a specific instruction. If you're in Joshua chapter 6, you can read along. The scripture says this, And ye, in any wise, keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest ye make yourselves accursed. For when ye take of the accursed thing, and make the camp of Israel curse, and trouble it. Oh, God gives them a specific instruction as they, about, as they are going to go through their campaign. The campaign is this. You're going to do it this way. You're going to follow that blueprint. And I'm going to follow up and make sure that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. It helps us understand that God watches what we do. Sometimes we can live our lives and with technology and all of the different busyness of life, we can come to the... Um, false confidence that God didn't see that. But God sees everything we do. God knows, he understands, he watches. God knows everything about you. And so with that being the case, he tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, in verse number 14 and 15, he says that we are to walk circumspectly. With our lives, we are supposed to be careful about where we walk and what we do and make sure that our lives are in accordance with the plan that he has put out. And so specifically in Joshua chapter 6 and verse number 18, he tells the children of Israel, he says, don't go in there and touch any of the stuff. When you're, when you're riding, when you're violently taking over this city, you make sure that you're not touching anything. Don't take anything. Now that would be the spoils of war. It would be the bounty of being able to conquer a people. You go through something, you see something that you like, you, oh, I get to take that now. This is mine. This is my land. This is my house. This is all belonging to me. But God said when they defeated Jericho, don't take anything. It is accursed. We see that there are principles guiding how God directs us. There is a principle of sin. The Bible tells us that we are to avoid sin at all costs. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, the Bible says that the wages of sin is, do you know what the next word is? It's death. Oh man, you guys are a good crowd today. Good job. You're responding well. The wages of sin is death. Whenever a person sins, it always reaps to themselves death. It brings something painful, harmful. The wages of sin is death. Well, what is sin? The Bible says this, whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. When the Bible gives us instructions, when we open up the word of God and the Bible says, thou shalt not, then we understand, oh, that if I do what he says thou shalt not, I have just sinned. 
I've done something wrong because the Bible gives precepts. The Bible gives understanding. The Bible tells us how we are and how we're not supposed to live. If the wages of sin are death, the gift of God is eternal life. I want to follow what God wants me to do rather than disregard what God tells me I should do. So sin is when I commit a transgression or a transgression or I go against what God says. Here's another verse about sin. The Bible says, therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is what? Oh, if I know to do something right and I don't do it, what have I just done? I've sinned. That's a hard place because I don't know about you, but there's sometimes I do things I know I shouldn't do. I've got to tell you, just got to confess this today on the way to church. I was over at the first stoplight and it was like 7.30 in the morning and I was at a red light. And there was nobody around. <laughs> like, n nobody around. I was going east-west, the, and the north-south traffic, it was green as green could be. And I sat there, and I sat there. I waited a long time. It was like 12 seconds. <laughs> and after I felt the fullness of time had come, I decided that I have given enough of my energy at this, and I'm telling you, it was safe. There was nobody around. But I just need to tell you, I sinned. I ran that red light. Now, I had a noble reason. I was running late for church. <laughs> and I wanted to be here to minister to God's people, even though sin was all up inside of me. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not to him it is what? Isn't that an interesting thing? We sin when we do wrong, even though we know what to do is right. This is interesting, too. The Bible says this in James chapter 1 and verse 15. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. So we even joke about sin. We talk about sin. We're light about sin. And we all understand the human condition that we uh, have inside of us. We're all sinners. We've all messed up. But the Bible tells us this, that sin is no light thing. Sin is so horrible that it brings forth death. Every single death has a common denominator. It's sin. Sin bringeth forth death. And so the Bible says here, don't go against the word of God. If you know what to do is right, you do what is right. Because for him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. The scripture is clear that we should avoid sin. So if I'm going to be a man or a woman of God, then I need to avoid sin. And that's the principle here in Joshua chapter 6 and verse number 18. The principle that he's saying is, I'm telling you an instruction. I'm giving you a word. Don't you dare touch anything that is in that city because I've told you not to. Number two. So, uh, uh, sin is missing the mark. If I want to know a good Bible definition, what is sin? Sin is missing the mark. I've got a little pointer on this thing. If I said, I want to hit Australia. Okay, I'm not, I haven't practiced this. Hit Australia. I'm pointing right at Australia. Oh, there I am over in uh, Southern Asia. What have I done? I've missed the mark. I'm going to try it again. Sin is hitting the mark, missing the mark. I'm going to try for Australia. Oh, I missed it again. I'm off in the I'm drowning in the ocean. Sin is when I miss the mark. I try to hit something. I try to do that, but I've missed 
the mark. Sin is the transgression of the law. Sin is when I do something that I know I shouldn't do or I don't do something that I know I should do. And sin always brings death. So in this first passage, we understand that this is a cursed city. And God gives them instructions not to touch this. Now, this is interesting to me. Under the cursed city, we also recognize that certain behaviors have a season when they are right, and certain behaviors have a season when they are wrong. Do you know there are certain things that I can do, and it's right and appropriate when done in the right season? And there are certain things I can do, and it's right and it's appropriate when it's uh, uh, done out of season. Notice what the Bible says. The Bible says in Joshua chapter 6 and verse 19, all the silver and the gold and the vessels of brass and iron, they're consecrated unto the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. What does God say about all of the wealth of the city? He says this, don't touch any of it. Anything that comes there, you give to God's house. You put it in the treasury of the house. You put it in the treasury of the Lord. This all belongs to the Lord. You give this to the Lord. Now, the same captain, Joshua, the same general, Joshua, the same God, Jehovah, the same people are going to go around Israel. And as they conquer this land of Israel, I want you to see what God tells them in chapter number 22 and verse number 8. He says this, And he spake unto them, saying, Return with how much riches? Help me out. How many riches? Return with much riches. Well, what are we doing? When you go and you fight against that city, you bring everything out. You bring it all. Don't leave anything behind. You get all the gold. You get all the silver. You get everything. But I thought we weren't allowed to touch the gold and the silver over there in Jericho. You're not. Why? Because it's a cursed city. But over here, we're allowed to take the gold and silver? Yep. In fact, I want you to come back with much riches, bring them into your tent. I want you to have very much cattle. We're allowed to take the cows too? Yes, you are. You get to keep them moving along. You take the silver. You take the gold, you take the brass, you take the iron, and with very much raiment. I've always wanted a Canaanite robe. Then go get the Canaanite robes. You can loot their closets, take their shoes. You get all of it. Why? But back in Jericho, that was back in Jericho. Today, I want you to take it all. Divide the spoil of your enemies with your brethren. Now, isn't that interesting? In Jericho, in chapter 6, and verse 19, he says, don't touch anything in the gold and the silver and everything. You give that back to God. But over here, just a few chapters later, he says, you take it, take it home, and have a party with it. You've got the cows, you take care of the cows. Have a steak dinner for all I care. And eat it wearing your nice robes and your new clothes because you've been wearing the same clothes for the last 40 years. So go ahead and have, you have a party. You have a, uh, a great time with it. What's the difference? Because there are certain seasons where God will allow us to participate in something. And then there are other seasons where he says not to. Can I give you an illustration? Can I use the illustration of marriage? Look what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 4. The Bible says that marriage is honorable in all. So God says that when a husband and wife fall in love, they share a bank account, they have children, they drive a minivan, they go into debt, okay? When all the things that marriage is, they shop at Costco. When all of the things 
that marriage is starts to happen with a marriage. God doesn't just say that marriage is honorable in just those things. Can you see how deliberate he is? He says marriage is honorable in all. And then he says the bed is undefiled. <laughs> this was a gentleman who was at our couples refresher last week. And it's just a reminder that every marriage can be refreshed. And next February 14th and 13th, you can come to for the low cost of $60 and enjoy the marriage couples refresher. Okay. So the Bible says that marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. Now check it out. God just doesn't say that it's nice that they have kids, they drove a minivan together, and that they have shared expenses. That's not what he says. He says, that's good, but let me just tell you that the intimacy between a husband and wife is honorable. It's good. It's appropriate. It should be celebrated. But notice how he says on the other side, whoremongers and adulterers, God will what? As right as intimacy is inside of marriage, it is that wrong outside of marriage. When a person is participating in extramarital affairs or premarital sex or sleeping together or they're intending to be married, God says, I'm going to judge you for that. You, that, you don't mess around. That is sin. Now, well, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? What if we got married? It's just a piece of paper. Oh, because then it's honorable. It's honorable then. But without that piece of paper, guess what it is? It reaps the judgment of God. Wow, that's a big deal. What's the difference? It's the season. A person in marriage, it's good. This activity is good, commendable, lauded. God calls it honorable. Outside of marriage, God says, you're getting judged for it. Isn't that interesting? Number two, or it shows us this. There are certain seasons when a purchase is appropriate. And a purchase is not appropriate. Intimacy is appropriate, and it's not appropriate. A promotion, it's a good thing. Oh, I've got this opportunity to make 6% more, uh, and this is a good, but it might not be the right time. It doesn't mean that that's a bad job. It doesn't mean that that's a bad opportunity. It just might not be the right season. Does that make sense? If it does, say yes. A relationship. Oh, we, we, we like being with each other. We are enjoying each other. We're... we're our, we like this relationship, but it might be a good season or it might be a bad season. See, this is so important to understand that God will allow certain activities and at certain times God will commend certain activities, but outside of the right season, God will judge. That's what he's saying in Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6, don't touch anything of the gold and the silver. Don't touch any of that. Over here, touch it all you want. It's good, it's right, it's appropriate. Enjoy it, celebrate, have a party, have a steak and baked potato dinner. It's a wonderful thing to do. Over here, no, why? Because the season is bad. Number three, how do I know if I'm walking circumspectly? Well, number one, I want to please God. I want to honor Him in phase two. Avoid sin, make sure I'm in the right season. Number three, look at the senses. Do you know that there are certain things that God doesn't have to speak a whole lot about? In the Bible, in the Bible, there is not one verse that says, thou shalt not jump off a bridge. I mean, if there is, I, I've missed it. Because all of our senses, everything in nature says, don't jump off a bridge. If thou jumpest offest a bridgest, thou shalt surely experience the pain and suffering accompanied falling off a bridge. 
<laughs> it's not in there. There's no verse that says don't jump off a bridge because nature says don't jump off a bridge. You don't jump off bridges because jumping off bridges. Well, the Bible doesn't say to do so. Well, the Bible doesn't have to speak emphatically about a number of different things because it just makes sense. Nature speaks to it. Can I give you a couple of illustrations? Look what the Bible says. For this cause, God gave them up to vile affections. Oh, what is a vile affection? What is something that is evil or disturbing or um, bad before the sight of God? The word vile is the idea of something that is rotten and unsavory. God gave them up to vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use of that which is against, notice the next word, nature. The argument against same-sex attraction doesn't necessarily even come from copious amounts of scripture, though there are many scriptures about it. There's a, there's a whole slew of scriptures about it. God says, your natural senses demonstrate that a woman being with a woman and a man being with a man are not the intention. Even nature describes that. I don't have to speak long into this. Nature tells you that that's not an appropriate fashion. Our senses say that. This is interesting too. Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it's a shame unto him? Isn't that an interesting verse? You come up behind somebody and you're wondering what kind of conditioner they're using and they turn around and they've got a beard. Oh! <laughs> the Bible tells us that it's unnatural. When a man has long hair, it's just, it's a shame for a man to have long hair. Now, I'm not the one who's saying this. The Bible tells us you don't have to have a whole sermon about long-haired men. It's just like, oh, dude's got long hair. The Bible says it's a shame upon him if a man... Who teaches that? Well, the Bible says nature teaches that. It's just something like, yeah, that's kind of awkward. He's got a ponytail. It's just, eh, he got a perm. It's cute. It's just not... Nature's the one that teaches this. It's not the word of God that has to spend... There's not a whole passage in the book of Leviticus about that. It's just nature says these are things. Now, what's that teach us? It teaches us this, that we have a knowledge of good and evil inside of us, and we don't have to be beaten down about a number of different things, where God doesn't say, thou shoutest not as jumpest off a bridgest. There's certain things that just make sense. Have you ever looked at somebody just like, dude, don't do that. <laughs> have you ever talked with your... Have you ever had an eight-year-old boy around? Eight-year-old boys are just the complete epitome of need for training and discipline. He's like, Eight-year-old boy like, stop it. Why? Because it's weird. <laughs> just cut it out. The Bible teaches us that you and I all have a knowledge of good and evil inside of us. Where does that common sense come from? When something strikes you and it's like, that doesn't seem appropriate. That doesn't seem right. That just seems awkward. When it strikes you that way, it's because you were blessed with an inheritance of the knowledge of good and evil. Where did we get that? Well, we got it when Adam and Eve sinned. And God said, don't touch of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Oh, they did. Guess what you have inside of you? The knowledge of good and evil. The scripture says this in Romans chapter 2. For what the Gentiles, which have not the law, by nature the things contained in the law. How come people that don't even believe the word of God can make good choices? Because they have a knowledge of good and evil. These things having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts. 
their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the mean while accusing or else excusing one another. What's that scripture teach us? It teaches us this, that you have a knowledge of good and evil. You have an understanding of what is right and wrong. When something, you ever heard a, a woman refer to the woman's intuition? It's a real thing. I just, I'm not good with this. I'm not comfortable with this. When a man says, I don't have a, my, it hits my gut wrong, okay? What are they saying? This just is not right. This is not good. We lean into that because each of us are born with a knowledge of good and evil. Our senses dictate what is right or what is wrong. Now, how do we get confirmation about that? Because we can't always rely upon emotion. Whosoever commits sin transgresseth the law, for sin is transgression of the law. The Bible is always our first filter, understand? But each of us don't have to go through copious things to understand what God wants us to do or what God wants us not to do. We have our senses. This is the third one. Excuse me, the fourth one. The Bible teaches us that society will help dictate what is right or what is wrong. Look at this. The Bible says, abstain from all appearances of evil. Should I do this activity or should I not do this activity? The Bible says, abstain from all appearance of evil. Now look at this scripture because this is really good. Society helps determine what God wants us to do or what God doesn't want us to do. In Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 28, there's a passage of scripture that says, Ye shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor print any marks upon you, for I am the Lord. When you see that print any marks upon you, what does that seem to indicate? What would be the modern day word that we would use for that? Okay, so check it out. So in Leviticus chapter 19 verse 28, God says to his people as they're going to go into the promised land, God says, don't you put a mark upon yourself. You guys use the word what? So don't say I preached against tattoo. You guys are talking about it, okay? <laughs> so the Bible says in verse number 19, verse 28, ye shall not make any cuttings on your flesh for the dead, nor print any marks upon you, for I am the Lord. Now notice what the verse before it says. The Bible says this, ye shall not round the corners of your heads, neither shalt thou mark the corners of thy beards. The exact same passage of scripture that says, don't put a mark upon you, says, don't round the corner of your beard. Somebody asked me, why don't you have a beard? Because my dad is Lebanese and my mom is Amish. Have you ever seen a good looking Amish beard? <laughs> have you ever seen a good looking Palestinian beard? Put those together, that's what I got. <laughs> it's not a pretty sight at all. He comes out and is like, and like a neck beard that's just disgusting, right? Okay, the Bible tells us this, that he told the children of Israel, have you ever seen an Orthodox Jewish man and his beard is just kind of, it's all over the place. You want to know why? Because he's following Leviticus chapter 19 and verse number 27. He's not rounding the corners of his beard. Oh, in verse number 28, the same passage of scripture that says don't round the corners of your beard because men who rounded the corners of the beard like almost every man with a beard in here has. Anyone who has a beard or a goatee, I don't see any Leviticus 27 beards right now as I look around. <laughs> Out and see me back there. He has a Leviticus uh, 1927 beard. But besides him, all of you are not living Leviticus 1927. Everybody else is living a hedonistic lifestyle, okay? You say, well, how come we're not preaching against rounded beards? Because the Leviticus 19 passage was specific to that society. It was specific to that day and time, 
And that passage says, don't do this, because if you're doing this, if you're rounding your beards and you're putting something on your arm or you're marking your flesh, it is a demonstration of alignment with idol worship. Oh, so, so don't round your beards, guys. Why? Because the people that round their beards worship idols. Don't get tattoos, guys, because the people that do are, um, they're idol worshipers. Well, what's that mean for us today? Somebody asked me, would you ever get a tattoo? And I said, no, there's three reasons. Number one, I'm not a professional athlete. Number two, <laughs> I don't sing rap music. And number three, I'm not a pirate. So I have no reason, <laughs> I have no reason to get a tattoo. If God in your life beckons you to the ministry of tattoos, that's between you and God. The point is this, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. And if you're rounding your beard for the glory of God, great. See, the point is, in society, there are certain societal changes that I do because it's right in this time or right in this time. Okay, last illustration on this. Do you remember at the beginning of the service when I came up, I told everybody to give, show me the sign that I told everybody to give. Okay? Okay, some of you weren't listening. It's a thumbs up. Somebody give me a thumbs up, all right? All right, good, good, good. Sheldon, thumbs up. That was a low-key thumbs up. Oh, it's a rising thumbs up. <laughs> you in the corner beard corner over there. That's a, we see you over there, so a thumbs up. Okay, in our society, if we make this gesture, it's okay, right? In fact, it's good. It's endorsed. We, <laughs> how many millions of people are looking on their social media platforms so that they can see this? If I were to come in here and I just said, you know, I think this church, I think this church is number. Is it appropriate? It's good? All right. Now, I don't want to be inappropriate, okay? This is okay. This is okay. I go one finger over. <laughs> if I go one... <laughs> Welcome to the party. We're glad you're here. Yeah. You're a guest, aren't you? Yeah. 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 I'm sorry. We do this every week. Okay. Good. One. F this is all right. This is appropriate. One finger over and the whole place goes crazy. Can you imagine what the memes and the social media would be like? Can you imagine what the conversations would be like in connection? Just one finger over. Now, is there anything unholy about that finger? Is there anything that God said, I commended the thumb and the forefinger, but the middle finger is of Satan? No. <laughs> now, I'm not trying to be inappropriate. I just want us to think through this. In our society, if you make that gesture, that gesture has just hurt your testimony for Jesus Christ. Well, how could that hurt my testimony for Jesus Christ? There's nothing in the Bible about it because in the society you live, you are called to this society. You are called to be a witness in this generation. This is your time. So there's certain things that you can do and there's certain things you can't do. You are not in rounded beard times, but you are in middle finger times. <laughs> Take that for whatever it's worth, all right? <laughs> Joshua gives him this illustration. He says, don't touch any of that stuff because it's sinful. 
What makes a sin? What's the difference between a season or a sin? It's not necessarily about the gold or the silver. It's always about obedience to God. It's a demonstration of obedience to my Savior. Sin, the season, the senses, and society. God says, don't touch any of these things. Don't mess with those things. And in this time, God shows us if we're going to walk circumspectly, we need to be aware of those things. So as God's believers, as his representatives in this age, we avoid sin. We recognize what is seasonally appropriate and what is not seasonally appropriate. We will allow our senses, even the knowledge of good and evil, the nature, to help make decisions. And then the society. Remember in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 16, where the Lord says to Samuel, Look not on his outward appearance, or on the countenance of his stature. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the, what, heart. So God sees our hearts, but man sees what we put out there. And so it's important that with our life and in this generation, we are reflecting that which would honor God. Number two, the Bible talks about a converted call girl. In verse number 20, the Bible says, So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets, and it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpets, and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat so that the people went into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city. Look at verse number 22. But Joshua had said unto the two men that spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house, and bring out thence the woman and all that she hath, as ye swear unto her. And the young men that were spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brethren and all that she had, and they brought out all of her kindred, and left them without the camp of Israel. If you were here a few weeks ago, you might remember the name of Rahab because when Israel was spying out Jericho and determining the best course of action moving forward, the Bible tells us that they happened upon Rahab's house. Inside of Rahab's house, it is discovered that they are Hebrews. They are of the children of Israel. And rather than giving them up to the authorities and allowing their... Um, their uh, spies to be discovered. The Bible tells us that Rahab hides them. And in doing so, they say to Rahab, whenever this city falls and is destroyed, anyone that is inside of the walls of your house will be left alive. We will keep them. We will allow them to stay. How will we know? You put a red scarlet cord outside of the window. And when all of the violence and all of the tumult is going on in the city, anybody inside of the house where the red scarlet ribbon is hanging, will be left alive. This is beautiful. In this place, Rahab, who is known as a harlot, a prostitute, a lady who sells herself so that she can make a living, the Bible tells us that she meets a couple of men of her word. The Bible tells us in verse 23 that the young men that were spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and their brethren and all that she had, and they brought them out of the kindred and left them without the camp of Israel. Rahab's family is saved alive. I think this is interesting. The message of the warrior, Joshua endorses the plan. The scripture says in verse number 22 that they go to Joshua and they say, hey, could we save Rahab alive? Tell me what the bargain was. Yep, of course you can. Notice that Joshua commends their plan. When Joshua said unto the two men that had spied out the country, go into the harlot's house and bring out thence the woman and all that she hath as she swear unto her. Now, if you are part of the Israelites, there's a hundred other people that would probably be better to take than the harlot, right? 
Find somebody who knows the area. Find somebody who's an influencer. Find somebody who's traded. Somebody who knows the best routes. Somebody who's a historian. But the person who is saved is out of the harlot's house. That's fascinating. The Bible tells us this. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. This is Jesus talking. And whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say unto you that if two or three agree on earth as touching anything, and they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father, which is in heaven, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. This lesson of Rahab being spared gives us a number of different things to remember, but it does teach us this, that you need other people in your life. God doesn't call you to be the Lone Ranger Christian. He calls you to be part of a community. That's why church membership is so important. That's why baptism is so important, because it involves you into a community. It doesn't save you, but it involves you into a community where you have brothers and sisters lifting your load. These spies don't have the ability to save her in and of themselves, but whenever they go to Joshua, Joshua gives word that Rahab, the harlot, stays alive. This is why you need community. Because the Bible teaches us in the New Testament where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. Don't stay home when you can be at a connection class. Don't be watching TV when you can be investing in the lives of others and have other people pouring into your lives. God built you to be a social creature. God built you for community. You need Christian friends who will pray with you, who will lift you up, who will walk the road with you, who will take you where you're supposed to go, who will allow the work of God to be done in and through your life. You need community. And the Bible teaches us that these spies relied upon Joshua and in their reliance upon Joshua, Joshua gives word, whatever they say goes. And Rahab the harlot is spared. This is beautiful. Not because she was good, not because she had lived a noble, perfect life. She's known as scripture multiple times as Rahab the harlot. The Bible tells us this, and Joshua saved Rahab, what? The harlot, alive in her father's household and all that she had. And she dwells in Israel even unto this day because she hid the messengers which Joshua sent out to spy the land. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Unrighteous people do not inherit the kingdom of God. Notice the type of people. Be not deceived. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, abusers of themselves with mankind, homosexuality, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners shall inherit. None of these shall inherit the kingdom of God. You don't get to go to heaven if that's who you are. But notice what the Bible says. Such were some of you. When you came to know Christ as your Savior, you are positionally transformed. You are no longer viewed as the harlot. You are no longer viewed as the Canaanite. When Rahab comes out, she is viewed as the redeemed of Almighty God. Such were some of you. God changes our identity and God changes our destiny. What a beautiful truth that when I come to Christ, I'm no longer just the vagabond set aside. And nope, the Bible tells us this. If you read the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, the whole lineage of Jesus Christ is displayed there in Matthew chapter 1. Guess whose name is found of one of five women in the lineage of Jesus Christ? Jesus' great, 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 couple more greats grandma is Rahab the what? Harlot. You know why? Because such were some of us. God has a beautiful opportunity to use our testimonies for his glory. 
I think this is beautiful when you read the last verse of chapter number six. The Bible says, so the Lord was with Joshua and his name was noised throughout the country. As phase two comes to a conclusion, it started with Moses, my servant is dead, but the page turns. And as the page turns, it is no longer about Moses. We see that God is the constant. It wasn't Moses that crossed the Red Sea. It wasn't Moses that brought water out of the rock. It wasn't Moses that provided manna. And every single miracle and the facing off of Pharaoh in Egypt, it was not Moses that did any of those things. It was God. It wasn't Joshua that destroyed Jericho. It wasn't Joshua that allowed them to go across the Jordan River on dry ground. It was God. God is the constant. But number two, man is the creature. God desires to use man. He desires to put us in a position where his glory can be seen through our testimonies, where his glory can be seen through our lives, through our works, through our efforts. God desires to use man. And there is no Moses today, and there is no Joshua today. 2024 is stuck with people like you and me. We are this generation's bulwark of truth. We are the lights who are supposed to shine. We are the ones who share forth the good things of Jesus Christ. That's why it's important that we avoid sin. That's why it's important that we reach our society. We use our senses in a way that we can bring this season to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 21, the Bible says, if a man therefore purge himself of these things, he shall be a vessel of honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use, and prepared for every good work. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. The scripture says in 1 Chronicles chapter 4 and verse number 10, and Jabez, who's Jabez? Nobody! Nobody knows about Jabez. There's no storybooks about Jabez. If you would go back in our Sunday school classes, they're like, oh, today we're going to study Jabez. It was like, who's Jabez? Jabez was a Nobody! He was just, in fact, if anyone's here, what's your favorite book of the Bible? Nobody says 1 Chronicles. <laughs> uh, I read through 1 Chronicles and just, mm. no one, No one's like on their daily reading plan. Yes, we're almost to Chronicles. It's one of those books that you're trying to fly through. You put it on autopilot <laughs> and you watch TV. It's one of those that you're just trying to get through. In the midst of that narrative, 1 Chronicles chapter 4, the Bible says, And Jabez called on the God of Israel, and he says, Oh, that thou wouldst bless me indeed. God, I want your blessing in my life. If you want the blessing of God, say amen. amen. He says, I want you to enlarge my coast. What that means is, I want your financial prosperity. I want my boundaries to expand. I want my stock to go up. If you would like to see God bless your portfolio, say yes. yes. The Bible says that thou hand wouldst be with me. If you want God to be blessing you rather than punishing you, say yes. yes. The Bible says and that thou wouldst keep me from evil. If you would like to see God prevent evil from wrecking your life, say yes. yes. And that it would not grieve me. I don't want to be sad. I want to be happy. If you want to be happy, say yes. If the person beside you didn't say yes, just look at them bad. Because that, that, they got some problems. They're like, no, I like being sad. You need to come back for the next service too. And then watch the first service because 
You need something. Of course, we all want to be happy. So look at the five prayer requests. He says, I want financial blessing. I want your prosperity. I want you to go with me. I want you to keep bad things from happening to me. And, and Lord, I just want to be happy. And this nobody from nowhere in a book that nobody reads, the Bible says this, God granted him that which he requested. Hey, if you're a nobody from nowhere, God can answer your prayer request too. And God can use your life too. Remember, it's God who resists the proud, but he gives grace into the what? Humble. So in phase two, the story of Joshua, where Joshua is elevated in the sight of people, have less to do with Joshua and much to do with the goodness of a great God. So in phase two, as we turn the chapter and we go from one place to another, we recognize this, that God wants to use people. He'll even use a call girl for his glory. But it's important that we avoid that which is cursed, whether it's a sin, whether it's a season, whether society or our senses are telling us, we need to walk in a way that would honor God and go to him and ask him for big things. Father, thank you for your word and the truth that's found in it. Help us to apply it to our lives and use it for your glory. We hope that message was an encouragement to your heart. Now for weekly updates and for information about Liberty Baptist Church, be sure to follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC of Las Vegas. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, God bless.